0: Especially with so much information and disinformation spreading online, all over the world are dealing with the same issues. In fact, the World Economic Forum and the UN have both recognized the rapid spread of misinformation as a critical global issue.
1: Today we are talking about misinformation, whether it is lies about the election or COVID-19 or conspiracy theories. We've seen just how insidious the spread of misinformation can be. We're going to talk with Suzanne LaPierre. She's the Virginiana Librarian at Fairfax County Public Library in Virginia. Suzanne has researched and written on this topic. You can find her work over at Public Libraries online and also be sure to check out her article along with co-author Vanessa Kitsie, Lots of Questions About Fake News, How Public Libraries Have Addressed Media Literacy 2016-2018, to which appeared in the October-December 2019 issue of Public Library Quarterly. Welcome, Suzanne. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your library background?
0: I spent the early part of my career moving between the fields of libraries, archives, galleries, and museums, and in the past 15 years, I've been working in public libraries. My first job after college was in my college's library, but after that, I spent some time working in museums and galleries, and I earned a masters in museum studies then i wound up moving back into libraries but i didn't earn my MLIS because i i already had my masters in museum studies and i wasn't sure if i was going to transition back into museums from libraries so i had sort of wasn't sure if i wanted to invest in the MLIS actually in 2016 i became motivated to finish my MLIS and stay in the library field because of the misinformation epidemic, especially surrounding that 2016 election, I just felt that public libraries had such an important role to play in helping members of their communities become more discerning users of news and information. And so I completed my MLIS with the focus of that question. What can public libraries do to help people in their communities become more discerning users of news and information in today's complicated information and disinformation landscape?
1: As far as misinformation, media literacy plays a large role. Can you talk a little bit about that? So the
0: term media literacy applies to our current complex information landscape. One has to be savvy about how various types of media work in order to be more discerning about the sources of information that we receive for example, if someone is using social media to get their news, but that person doesn't have a good understanding of how algorithms and filter bubbles work on those platforms, they are probably not going to be able to judge the accuracy and objectivity of the news that they're receiving. So for example, my social media feed is tailored to my usage. So I will automatically be fed more of the stories that are similar to the ones that I've already reacted to. And this creates a very narrow and biased view of what is news at any given moment. And even those people, who are more savvy about how digital platforms work can still get pulled into these information silos because of our basic psychological tendencies, confirmation bias, and um, those types of tendencies that we all have. So it's something that we all need to work on and keep working on as the technology evolves.
1: From your research, how have public libraries responded to this challenge and what are some of the more successful efforts in furthering media literacy that you know of?
0: In my study on um, the media literacy initiatives of U.S. public libraries with Dr. Kitsie at University of South Carolina, we found responses um, in the form of print and digital tools, such as lib guides, displays, speaker presentations, participatory workshops, partnerships with other organizations and schools, and um, discussion groups. And the the subject matter covered ranges from understanding the use and design of digital platforms, which might be covered in a, even in a workshop on, you know, how to use social media platforms or determining the accuracy and reliability of news sources, engaging in more productive dialogue And also we found that democracy and voting emerged as a category of programs that was volunteered by many of the survey respondents. For example, some had local candidates for political office come and speak at the library on local issues, with the caveat that no personal attacks would be allowed (laughs) on other candidates just to focus on the issues. Many libraries had a representative from their local League of Women Voters come and talk about the history of the voting process. Uh, but among the initiatives that were reported as being the most successful, according to library staff, were news literacy content, especially if they had a presentation with a speaker from a local media outlet or a school of journalism at a university, and followed by a Q&A and discussing like, how the news gets put together, how how fact-checking occurs, how sources are cited, and which sources can be double-checked for reliability and so forth. Workshops on the use of digital platforms were also reported as being successful by a lot of branches in terms of popularity and um, libguides.
1: For libraries who are interested in starting or strengthening a media literacy initiative, what are the hallmarks of the best initiatives and what are some first steps?
0: We found in our study that if the staff were uninterested or didn't recognize the importance of media literacy, they were less likely to perceive an interest in the community. So therefore, as a profession, we need to be making sure that the staff and libraries have an awareness of how critical this issue is and have the tools and training that they need to address it. So advocating for staff to have the time and opportunity to engage in in training is vital. Lack of staff time was by far the single most commonly cited reason found for not participating in media literacy initiatives. So we also need to look at giving staff enough time and space to educate themselves and try new things. In fact, at about the same time that I was doing my research, which is sort of a bottom-up research, like what are libraries already doing, um, Mm -hmm. what have they independently developed, and how did that work out for them? At the same time that I was doing that, the ALA had their uh, Media Literacy at Your Library initiative, where they Mm -hmm. were training a select group of public libraries to host programs on media literacy. And so I thought that it would be interesting to compare the an authority source like the American Library Association putting forth training that they felt was valuable and to combine that with looking and seeing, well, what are libraries already doing all around the country? And we made sure to get very small and very large libraries, urban libraries, rural libraries, and, and just get a, a variety of responses. We even talked to some librarians who said that they were so tiny, they had such a tiny library and such a tiny staff that they can't do any additional programming beyond, you know, having a summer reading program for the kids or something. And I did want to point out that even if, you know, the library isn't having a special program or special initiative in this area... The daily operation of, of libraries and all the responsibilities that fall under our regular job descriptions as librarians, including introducing users to print and digital tools that give multiple perspectives on a problem, such as you know the CQ Researcher database, those things further the goals of media literacy as well. So even those tiny or underfunded libraries who feel like they don't have the resources for extra programs are still part of the movement towards improving media literacy.
1: So let's talk a little bit about the ethical issues in libraries conference that you recently attended. What did you learn about combating misinformation at that event?
0: So that was the CEDEC, the the Spanish Society for Scientific Documentation and Information International Library Conference that was hosted in Madrid uh, recently, just a couple of months ago. The interesting thing about that conference was that the presenters were public and academic librarians, but also social workers, writers, and publishers. Mm. So there was a lot of scope to the issue. For example, what publishers decide to print impacts what we as librarians have to offer. My overall takeaway was that librarians and people in adjacent fields all over the world are dealing with the same issues, especially with so much information and disinformation spreading online. It's a global issue. In fact, the World Economic Forum and the UN have both recognized the rapid spread of misinformation as a critical global issue. So it would be great if we could work internationally with our colleagues and because the issue was never gonna be solved in one country if it remains elsewhere in the world. Misinformation isn't stopped by borders or walls.
1: Outside of media literacy initiatives, how else are librarians helping library users and their communities decipher fact from fiction?
0: Our daily work is to make accurate curated information available to the general public. Even reading for pleasure, I think, ties into media literacy because reading an entire book as opposed to social media posts and memes trains our minds to understand complexity and nuance. Um, Even, And I'm sure you've heard about how Um, the studies that showed that reading fiction improves empathy and that ability to psychologically put ourselves in someone else's shoes or see something from a different point of view. That's an important thing to be able to understand other people's motives and therefore how and why world events occur. So fact-checking and libguides are important and so is being a trusted entity in the community and a place where people have the space and the resources to explore those issues.
1: For a library, what would you recommend as the best way to correct information encountered online? For example, incorrect information or comments left on a library social media account.
0: There's a huge psychological aspect to information behavior. Just presenting facts isn't enough. You know, people get emotional if they feel like you know you you don't believe them or you don't trust them or you don't care about their problems. You know, um, so we want to express that we. We continue to be able to serve the public, even if we're, say, closed to walk-through traffic or limited to 30-minute visits. We want to make sure that people know that we have all these other ways that we're serving you through phone reference, through e-reference, curbside pickup, e-books, banded wireless and database use, etc. Because trust and a sense of being cared about is is critical um, in addition to just linking people to the correct facts and information. That's one thing that I learned in my research is that a lot of misinformation problems really come down to psychology. People need to feel like part of a tribe. They need to feel valued as a person. So the last thing that we want to do in these, in the online world of, um, say, somebody leaves incorrect comments or rude comments on our social media, the last thing we want to do is get snippy in return, even though we're all suffering from frayed nerves between the pandemic and politics and everyday stress. I always go back to the study I read several years ago, that someone studied library customers and how satisfied they were with the the service they received. And they found that customers who felt like the staff cared about their question were more satisfied, even if they didn't get the information that they needed, they were more satisfied with the service that they received than mm-hmm. if they had received the correct information, but they felt like the staff was was rude or didn't care about their problems. So so those soft skills are conve- of conveying care and respect count for a lot.
1: Since you conducted your large research project in 2019, how has misinformation, fake news changed since that time? So my research was published
0: in 2019, um, but the time period that we studied was actually 2016 to 2018. And the reason we chose that time period is because the media literacy initiatives were developed during that time because there was a rise in concern about media literacy in the U.S. after the events surrounding the 2016 presidential election and the fact that U.S. intelligence agencies had revealed um, extensive international misinformation campaigns around the campaigning and the election. Now that we've lived through the 2020 presidential election and seen that in spite of what we thought were mighty efforts in the, the 2016 to 2018 timeframe, the problem persists and has had these deadly and devastating consequences. I, I think if anything, we're all now even more aware about the results of disinformation and a term I learned recently is malinformation, material that spread for malevolent purposes, um, not just incorrect or inaccurate, Information, but actual malevolent um, misinformation that's meant to have a negative impact. So we saw that that with the fiction that was QAnon, and I mean, some of the some of the QAnon storyline is just so far fetched that a lot of people are thinking, you know, what? How can people believe this? But this is where we go back to the psychology of misinformation. As bizarre as some of the QAnon stories are it's created a community for people where they feel that their grievances are being recognized or they feel that other people are joining them in this search for truth. QAnon sort of, it doesn't exactly tell people what to believe, but it tells them to look for, for clues. And as they, in these online forums, as they come up and say, hey, I found this or that information, they get all kinds of positive reinforcement and feedback from other people in the community. Oh yeah, great, that's a good one, you know? That's a great example. Here's another example of this famous person and using this hand gesture, you know, which signifies whatever. So what we as librarians can do, going back to that, is that we have a, a psychological role to play in our communities as well. We're still one of the most trusted organizations, and we are a place in the community where people from all different walks of life can come across one another, and therefore there's that opportunity for people to learn from people who aren't like them, or at least encounter people who aren't like them. We can have great information, but if we don't have a good understanding of people's information behavior, they might not access what we have to offer. Studies have shown that people will accept less accurate information if it's easy to access. They might know that this or that database or journal is a great source of information, but if it's behind a paywall and they need a password, they'll just you know Google something instead and, and you know, even knowing that that is a less accurate form of information just because it's easier to, to get to that we need to deal with it as librarians. You know, me, we made making sure that the information we have is as easy to access as we can possibly make it.
1: It seems to me that there's three components that we need to address in the library world to combat this issue of misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. And those are media literacy, the information gathering behavior of our communities and the psychological component.
0: They're all very much intertwined. The misinformation that is out there, the psychological tendencies that we have, such as confirmation bias and the Dunning-Kruger effect, and the fact that we are more likely to accept information from somebody that we like and trust, regardless of where that information originated. There was a study that showed that people will online accept information from people they like and trust, regardless of where the original source of that information came from. We all need to have the humility to recognize that we all occasionally will fall into these traps. Mm -hmm. Um, We all have a little bit of bias. We can all fall into cognitive biases, such as confirmation bias, you know, looking for things that back up what we already believe in, the Dunning-Kruger effect, um, where we, the less we know about a certain particular topic, the more we think we know, because we just don't know enough to know what we don't know yet. And we all sometimes let our emotions and biases impact our choices. So it's an ongoing struggle for all of us, especially because the tools and technology are just evolving faster than our ability to adjust. So while we shouldn't give up, and we can't give up, we have to recognize that perfection is not a realistic goal. Improvement is. It's not a problem we can ever solve completely, but we can add more pieces to the puzzle, and we can hope that mitigating actions can create a tipping point in key areas at key points in time.
1: This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you wanted to share? there's so much distrust of expertise right now.
0: Um, There's just a feeling like, well, I can Google that. And I can, you know, if I think cats are better than dogs, I can Google cats are better than dogs and find all kinds of sources Mm -hmm. to back me up. So I don't care what an expert has to say about that. You know, why does he know more than I do? So I had this thought about how everyone is an expert at something, whether it's burping babies or baking cakes or fixing engines or infectious disease control. And so if we could just approach it that way, uh, from the perspective of, say, a library program, maybe people will be less suspicious of the very concept of expertise. So I've been brainstorming about how we could use that concept in, in programming or discussions so that expertise isn't seen as elitism, but just part of the social fabric. We can't all be experts in all areas. So we rely on one another to fill in the areas where we don't have expertise or we don't have time
1: to develop expertise. That was Suzanne Lapierre. She's the Virginiana librarian at Fairfax County Public Library in Virginia. Thank you for all that information on misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation.